Thank you for coming. This is my presentation on something I've been doing for several years now called the discipline of forgiveness. And the first thing that I ask you to understand is that we are not discussing traditional idea of forgiveness. This is not your mother and father's concept of forgiveness. This is a whole new ball game. So I thought I'd start off with an example that I worked out of what traditional old school forgiveness is. So, here's what I wrote. Well, you really did it. This is real in a real bad situation and it happens to be your fault. But I'm going to forgive you for what you did. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to do it. Just because I'm just that much more perfect than you. I'm going to do this anyway because, well, I have Jesus and by the way, you don't. And you will be always be screwing up, I know that. You'll always be screwing up, and you could stop screwing up, but you won't. <laughs> because you're not as great a person as I am. You could begin to agree with me about everything, but you won't. You could even believe every last thing I believe, but you won't. So unlike me, there is no hope of you going to heaven, but I will. And I might not look sad about this, but I really do feel sorry for you. So I had a little bit of fun writing this, so what's wrong with this? Anyone want to take a stab at the mountain of wrongness in this? Besides it being, yes, too much pride, too much arrogance. Guilt, guilt, guilt is a forgiveness and guilt. Very good. Self-serving, excellent. Anything else? Huh? Hubris. Lots of hubris. Lots of exclusiveness. Right. But the worst part of all of this is that it treats both this world and the things and the people in it as real. Now, as a society of mystics, there are problems with what has been called the objectivization of reality. That is to say, we actually have no guarantee that what we experience is actually real. And I'm sure you've had fr heard phrases like, the world is maya, which roughly translates into illusion. It's appeared in popular culture, like in films like The Matrix, where all the world is a computer simulation. There are also several philosophical thought experiments, like what if we were a brain being kept in a vat by some mad scientist and just fed data, you know? And in the end, and when you get right down to it, just the about the only thing, if you try to disclude all kinds of lies and illusions and misperceptions, is that there is some incoming stream of information and there is something interpreting it. But that's all we can really be absolutely sure about this. So, this is, of course, heavy metaphysics, so let me try to simplify it by giving you a couple of analogies. Me and a few friends like to deeply enjoy going out to the movies. You know the movies, right? 
you go into a big auditorium, the lights go down, and there are very real-looking images on a screen that move a lot, and a lot of involving dialogue. Now, if we were viewing a movie for a second time, we might know that a certain character's decision would lead in the course of a movie to certain bad outcomes. And if we were to stand on the stage and try to engage the character and warn him that about what's about to happen, that would be foolish, right? That would be foolish, right? Because certainly you can see that the movie would continue through to its inevitable conclusion and through its inevitable conflict. Now, if we could get into the projectionist booth and mess with the projector and the film, then we might be able to change the course of the movie. Would you agree? Um, oh, by the way, if at any point you have any questions, I hope you'll interrupt me, please. All right, because I, I, I do, I have, I am counting on your questions to clarify things if I go too fast at certain points. Thank you. So what I'm trying to lead you to is that there is a spiritual discipline aimed at leading to actually changing the film. And this is because if you just try to interact with what's happening on the film, you're never going to change anything, really. It's just not going to change. It's, it's already predetermined. It's, it's moving forward on you. Now, we don't have to look at this just as that one analogy. There's another analogy I want to talk to you that of the sleeping child. Now, if you were a mother, hi, Mom, um, you might see your child sleeping, and you might be able to realize the child was, was dreaming. You know, you'd see the child in bed asleep, right, curled up, beautiful, you know. And it might be saying something to someone or something in the dream. It might physically twitch and you would know that the child is walking or running in the dream. You know, you've seen this kind of thing in real life, haven't you? Am I, am I like off the wall here? No? Good, I'm glad. Now, you could even tell if the child is having a nightmare, if it's having a bad experience. You've heard maybe a sleeping spouse in the middle of the night say, oh, no, don't, 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 right? You know, it might be even having a nightmare. But if it was a child having the nightmare, let me ask you a question. And people who are familiar with raising children feel free to, to, to agree with me or not. But you wouldn't pick up the baby and go, right? That would shock that would shock the child worse than the nightmare, right? So maybe you'll sit down next to the child and go, you know, honey, this is just a dream. This is all illusions. This is just crap in your head. And you're gonna wake up and realize it was all fake, something you imagined. And you talk soothing, because, you know, we've also all had the other experience in dreaming, where, you know, someone's, someone's talking while we're asleep in the room. And when we wake up, we realize that the words coming out of the mouth was actually in the dream, right? I mean, I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, once I was having a dream that I was being chased by soldiers and stuff, and then one soldier looked at me and said, in my mother's voice, honey, you're going to be late for school. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... That's what it's like, and the interesting, there's several th interesting qualities to the dream. One is that there's an experience where the child or the dreamer, their reality has been replaced with the dream itself. All right, Even to know it's, it's illusory, it's in their head, but they are hooked into that as if it were real. So, in actuality, from the perspective of the dreamer having the nightmare, that hearing the whisper from the mother or from the outside is a sign that the battle is halfway over. At that point, you're coming out of the dream. Now, the analogy of the dream is actually a little bit deeper than that. 
because, you know, I talked about the child's reality being switched with the dream. But I want you to imagine yourself, you know, you go to bed, you go to sleep, halfway into the experience, your eyes begin switching, switching, you're in the dream, you dream, you dream, you have a dream, a little adventure dream, you wake up, you go to your day job, you come home to your family, you come home to your wife, you go back to bed, you dream, you dream, you dream, but you see there's another level, because on another level above that is you jump into a life, you're raised, you wake up, sleep, wake up, sleep, dream, real, dream, real, die, jump out of that life, jump into another life, and it goes on and on and on like this. And looking at from this perspective, you see there's an issue, issue of levels begins to imagine. And while I talk to you about these levels, you know, there's other levels above that that we can't even imagine. You know, there's a level where, you know, angels and gods and things that we have no experience of is out there happening. So, I've almost explained the whole of this analogy to you. But I did leave off a little bit that I want to introduce now. I want to talk about the voice trying to lead you to waking up. Now, that voice, I and many others like me believe, is actually none other than the Holy Spirit, the, the counterpart of, of the Lord, trying to bring us back because what many people believe is that we are actually in God's nursery and God is being very patient trying to lead us out to him. So, Maybe you're asking yourself why I'm bringing God and the Holy Spirit into this. And the reason is because God is the ultimate reality. What we're experiencing as dream, all this around us is made up, and you could call this our inferior creation, because like a dream, it's all in our head. And I also want to point out to you that I'm introducing new concepts here, like I said, our head. Our head, really our mind. Something I've been discussing with Ron for quite a while is the metaphysical idea of the one-souled universe. We're all in one mind that is generating a simulation of many people looking at each other, doing things to each other. It's like a novelist typing out a novel and imagining all these different characters for a novel that aren't real. And I've also said something else as a new term to elaborate on, which is the concept of the inferior creation. And this is a little bit more complex to explain. You see, there's a little contradiction, and that is that because we all say that God is perfect. It's a kind of constant of religious experience, the idea of the perfect God. And perhaps you've noticed that there's a lot of non-perfect stuff going on in our world. You know, war, strife, old age, disease, stuff like that. So I ask you, could God, a perfect being, create something imperfect? You know, God as an all-knowing and perfect being can do a hell of a lot. But if he were to create something that is not perfect, it would show a lack of foresight on his part. And, as I'm sure you can imagine, a lack of foresight is not exactly the quality of a perfect being. From what we can tell, anything God created would be perfect. And since this world around us is not perfect, you know, Eureka, God did not create it. Our inferior creation. It's kind of a heavy metaphysical point. Do we have any questions? No? Keep going? Keep going? Am I, are you falling asleep on me? No? Good. Okay. Huh? <laughs> that is a great compliment. The, the comment was that Martin Pasquale would be very happy to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm just repeating it for the sake of the recording I'm making for, for uh, later. 
Now, this rabbit hole goes a bit further than that, but, you know, it's been many minutes, yes, since I've started now, hasn't I? I don't want to put you guys to sleep. I'm very concerned about not putting you to sleep. Um, so I want to break things up a little bit now with a practical. Let's have a practical experience. You know, I've imparted to you what I think is the minimum to understand met the metaphysics behind forgiving people as a discipline for life. So what I would like to do is I want to lead you through a practical exercise, a long-form forgiveness prayer. We're going to do this in just a minute. You see, I have a problem presenting this topic. It's a big topic. I've listened to speakers and read a few books, and I've gotten a long way from my example of old-school forgiveness with you already. To show you the difference, I've had to explain a bit, but now we have enough to try a long-form forgiveness prayer together. We can then build on the idea some more, but we can use this exercise to give you a taste of the process. You see, the title is Forgiveness as a Discipline, which means forgiveness of other people, whether or not you want to, whether or not it feels good, you know, discipline. And we all need discipline when it comes to spiritual things, because we'd all like to take a shortcut, right? You'd all like to come in here and have this brother stand up in front of you in this mystic society and impart some magical words in the, over the course of a half hour, an hour, and you walk out here and you're just like Buddha and Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? How many of you have ever played an instrument? Can I have a show of hands? Ever try to play an instrument? What happens the first time? You suck, right? You need, you need practice. And to get practice, you have to have a discipline, you have to have a methodology, you have to do it repeatedly. And I, I don't want you to think that I'm perfect here. You know, as my darling wife has pointed out to me many times, there are plenty of things that I don't forgive. You know, I'm only trying at but I'm practicing. So, I have these prayers, by the way, and I do have a short-form prayer, too. I have it memorized, too, because I just do this so much. I mean, when I started this, I had a real problem with road rage, you know. And so, I've learned to pray over traffic jams. I'm proud at this point. <laughs> Which happens to be often enough in this county where I have things memorized. So... So, later on, at the very end of this talk, I will give you the short form, because if you decide that this kind of discipline might appeal to you, too, you know, you, you, you'll certainly need something quicker, just to be practical. Huh? Okay. So, and also, the long form is a great place to start, because I can pick it apart with you right after the prayer, and uh, look at each part with it, so you can see exactly what we're trying to do. So, would you... Join me in a prayer of forgiveness. You know, relax, close your eyes, and in your mind's eye, pick a person or a situation to forgive. And it doesn't have to be the big one. It doesn't have to be the big one. Um, it doesn't have to be the big one. Though, you know, it might help if it's the big one. It's up to you, really. And, you know, if you, after our practice, if you actually succeed in forgiving it, uh, then you will have learned a lesson of forgiving something, and the Holy Spirit will do the hard work for you, moving through all the possible lives in your existence, both past, present, and future, and removing that obstacle from your, pre from your path. Because after you've overcome it, you don't need to learn the same lesson twice, and the Holy Spirit surely knows that. And if you need to try it again, or if you don't fully forgive it, in the day to practice of this, if you decide to take it on as a lifestyle... If you forget, just outright forget something happened during the day to forgive it, and I want to promise you, I can, you can rest assured the Holy Spirit will surely place a near-identical experience in your path again.
Okay? This is why we say that forgiveness shrinks the universe. It shrinks the things that we are exposed to in our lives. So the words themselves are not important, but the point is to train your mind to, and this is all broken up the dashes, forgive as a default action, as opposed to what you're probably doing now in your day-to-day life, which is forgiving, or I should say, which is being in the mode of always judging everything around you. So pick a person or a situation you would like to forgive and envision it in your mind's eye and think along with me or say it aloud if you prefer. You're not really there. And if I think you're guilty or the cause of a problem and I made you up, then the imagined guilt or fear must be in me. Since the separation from God never occurred, I forgive both of us for things that never really happened. Now there's nothing but innocence. And I join in the Holy Spirit and peace. And then imagine yourself releasing what's in your mind's eye to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do the hard stuff for um, I would like to pause this at this moment just for a few seconds to stretch and get a breath of air. And if you'd like to do the same, please do so. I'll be right back. So, so thanks for letting me break, break it up like that, guys. I appreciate um, So... What I'd like to do is I'd like to step through. Yeah, that's right. The comment is you got to forgive yourself to forgive everybody. Thank you so much for that excellent point. Let me skip ahead a little bit. And if I repeat later, please stop me. But you see, because we all have, we all have, we all share one soul. We all have, there's one subconscious that knows what's going on. The subconscious knows the real deal, as they say, but it's not letting us know about it. So, you see, if we fail to forgive ourselves... What we're doing is we're telling the subconscious, we're giving the subconscious a clear and unmistakable statement that we're not worthy of, no one's worthy of forgiveness. And if we condemn somebody else, you see, we're actually telling the Holy Spirit, or actually at the subconscious, I should say, that we ourselves are worthy of condemnation. And this is why a couple of things happen that you might have noticed, that when, they, when you wish bad on someone else, often you get this thing whacked back in your face. That's why. You know, and also, the way you treat the apparitions around you or the other people that you perceive around you or the way you feel about them even greatly determines to a huge extent how the world looks back at you because we all share one subconscious. Thank you for that. All right, so let's, let's step through. Yes, yes, brother. The com- the, yeah. So much, so much of this... Like does does affect linear linguistic programming and, and the old schools of alchemy. You know, one of my favorite passages of the New Testament is where Jesus says, "If you had faith, you could tell that mountain over there to float away, and it would." And you know, when we talk about our local reality, that's what we're discussing. It really is. It really becomes up to us. But you have to have your mind programmed the right way to get there. And that's why I'm saying, you know, this, this, this is not what I present to you today. It's not the only discipline. There are others. This one happens to be right for me. I would be thrilled if someone decided it was right for them too, and I would have some to share, you know, experiences with, but that may or may not happen. But it really is like that because what you believe does affect what the people around you believe. What you accept changes a lot. Um, to relate this to something a little bit more modern, if you would, my brother, um, I was watching Noam Chomsky on the TV the other day, and they were interviewing him about the political situations we're in, and, and uh, they said, what can we do to stop people who are, 
who are being led down the, the primrose path by these people who are trolling what's on the TV. And he said, tell them they should stop watching TV. And it, 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 is, it is true in the fact that when I cut down on my personal TV use years ago, um, I began changing my mind off the path of that quite a bit. And now I'm involved in new media. I put out three times a month a news podcast. And I only pick the stories that I'm sure that Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC will not cover. Because they need the voice more than anything in the mainstream. That's what I do. Um, Bill, you had a question or comment? A man a little bit proud of, of the different simulated characters looking at each other. Yes. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. All right, so I would like to step through the longish forgiveness exercise with you, if you would. So, you're not really there. This is generally a reminder of the unreality of what we're experiencing um, and where, where, we, where we thought together. If I think you're guilty, uh, all through the words, the guilt or fear must be in me. This harkens back to what I gave you before about the child dreaming analogy, where we're still in God's nursery but having a dream. You know, because the, the dream in the child, you know, is, is a reality only in the child's head for those few seconds. It's not really there. So anything I imagine is being done to me, it's a figment. Now, since the separation of God, from God never occurred, reminds us again that we are still with God. You know, even to know God is not in our dream with us, we're only receiving these whispers from the Holy Spirit. You know, but we are still with the Lord. Um, and we are in, again the inferior and unreal dream. I forgive both of us now for things that never really happened. Now, I would be beating your head if I didn't remind you again that that's a reminder about the never really happening part, but forgive us both. Well, this is what my sister over here reminds us of. It's important to forgive both me and the perceived. Because remember, we're all branches, Mandelbrot fractured branches, of the same subconscious. We're all worthy of forgiveness and we have to try and strive over time to get away from the idea that we're worthy of being judged against. You know, while our conscious mind thinks it is a separate unique thing, you know, the ego has a script. The ego wants to tell you something. The e your ego has a message for you and its message is this. Its message is that you are so unique and oh boy have you gotten a raw deal. It's just not that bad. It just isn't that bad. It's it's part of the con is what I'm saying. Now there is nothing but innocence, and I join with the Holy Spirit in peace, reminds us of the fact, again, that nothing is really happening. There can be no guilt. There can be no guilt for things that aren't, in fact, happening. You can't be guilty of something that didn't occur. So, I want to look at the metaphysics, some more of the metaphysical implications of this with you. Because now you have a basic understanding of what's involved. And I want you to see some of the implications. You know, a common question when looking at the discipline is why people, is why a simple thing like an idea that we might have had, you know, we have often, we've seen in the Bible, in the beginning of John it says, in the beginning the word was with God and the word was one with God. And what we're asking now is why the idea of what would it be like to have a creation without God in it inside of this thing with us. Why would that need to actually be played out? And the truth is, of the idea is that it's not being played out, per se. You know, but in order for us to pretend that it is, the illusion of time and space must be created. 
to be able to have a he did this and then he did that and then he did another thing. You see where we get we have to have time. And this goes back again to what the, I told you about the analogy of the sleeping child. You know, you must have had the experience of some dreams that are epic. They, they take a huge amount of time and then other dreams seem to go like that. But in actuality, our sleep scientists know they've measured the actual rapid eye movement and the dreaming phase only lasts for seconds and then there's a period of time and then it happens again, you know. So the dreamer is having the lucid dream for just a few minutes or seconds and the time itself in the dream is only an illusion. It's a construct of the dream itself. So if you ever hear anybody talking again in terms of your parents' old school metaphysics, that when you get to heaven, all these people you miss since they passed away are there waiting for you. You can now ask yourself if there is really any time outside of this level of reality. You know, do you really think an ascended master like Jesus or Buddha has been waiting around for thousands of years for you to show up? Well, you know, outside of here, there is no time. You step into the eternal. They don't have to wait for us. They're there. And of course, we go back to the levels idea where, you know, one level we're experiencing the masters. You know, another level we would experience God purely itself. You know, another level there would just be God. Goes up, bumps up in that in that way. You know, another question that, yes, yeah, on on the on the different things. The question is about levels, and the different and the point is that it's a, a nested situation, so that you know we have several dreams, we have several periods of awakeness and asleep in our life, and we have another level where we have several lives that consist of within them several periods of awake, sleep, dream, awake, sleep, dream. Above that, we have an experience where we're outside of life and death, and we're with other souls. Another level of experience, we're just with the Lord himself. You know, it bumps up in that way. It's like a bunch of shells or um, an onion. It's like an onion. It has layers to it. All right, does that answer your question? Okay. Okay. So another question that seems is, is why this seems to keep going on and on and on, thousands of years of human history. And at this point, I want to you know, leave that child analogy behind and go back to the movie theater analogy with you. Now, you go to a movie theater, and you see a movie, and the movie is dead boring. I mean, more boring than any film you've ever sat through before in your life. What would you do? You leave the theater, right? right? You see, there has to be all this drama. There has to be all this drama to keep people from waking up and walking out. Now, I, I did mention before the pop culture movie, The Matrix, before, and how many people have seen The Matrix? Ah, good, a good bunch of us, science fiction fans, I love it. Do you remember the scene where Agent Smith is interrogating Orpheus toward the end? You know, and, and, and Smith says, you know, this isn't the first Matrix. The first Matrix was perfect. There was no conflict, no fights in it. You know what happened? People kept waking up. They knew deep down that nothing could be this perfect, and they woke up from it. See, politics is a great source of unforgiveness. And you can still play politics all you want. And a discipline like this does not require that you give up relationships or any odd possessions or hobbies that you are passionate about. It does, however, teach the mind to put you in control of whether or not you want to continue with the illusion. You can keep enjoying the world all you want, and you may want to be mindful of what it is. Try to change the world in a way you can't, but you can keep trying all you want. You just have to understand that what you're trying is an expression of your love for your fellow man. You know, that you want the world for them to be as better as you want to be better for yourself. Now, 
some of you know, so I, I have dinner often with many of, of you on different occasions. Some of you know that I dream of a dream world where our country's current party structure dies off. You know, no more Republicrats, I like to say. But you know that I know that even I know that even if it does, even if the people I favor in the political realm take over, you know, at the end of November, whatever it is, that whatever replaces the current system, I know it's still going to be screwed up. It's still going to be a high holy mess, as they say. Because it has to be. It has to be a high holy mess in order for people to stay interested in the movie, to keep in this reality. See, when I started this several years ago, I was big on getting off the reel of reincarnation. Indeed, with a discipline like that, the people who believe you know, this and read the source revelation documents of the people who said that they received this spiritually in, an in another situation, in a mystical sense... They believe that, you know, in two or three lifetimes, if you consistently forgive everything that comes your way, that you no longer have to be reincarnated. You'll actually get rid of it that quickly, thanks to the help of the Holy Spirit. And at first, you know, I thought several years ago, wow, I, you know, because for me, the biggest miracle in the Bible is the incarnation. I'm like, why would you want to come into this, right? That's how... That's how denigrating my personal outlook was on the world when I started this. But I often say to people that this has changed my life, and it, it has in this way. As I forgave, as I began doing this, and I have had mystical experiences over this, I've had experiences where things and people around me just seem to turn to cartoons with little flashes of white light around their edges, and then they're gone, you know? It's, it's kind of weird. Um, but that's just, you know, a signal that you're on the right, right path for you, you know. But as I did this, and like I said, the Holy Spirit says, you don't have to learn this lesson anymore. And it goes through your past, present, and future lives, removing the ob obstacle. Well, that means it's removing that one bad, nasty, gnarly aspect of your experiences, regardless of what life. But as people in the dream, as people in the illusion, what that means for us personally inside of this place is that the bad experiences are being systematically removed from our future life. So you see, when you get to that level, you're going to get to a point where your life becomes better and better. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to reincarnate anymore. Nothing wrong. It's a noble goal. You might want to do it someday. I invite you to try. But you see, if you do do that, that means... Your identity is going to collapse. The things that make you, you, as opposed to making me, me, are going to eventually deteriorate, and the universe is going to shrink, and we're going to merge into one. And eventually you won't have any more you-ness. The you-ness will be gone. Eventually, eventually the simulation runs its course, and the oversoul will forgive everything at once, and everything will just collapse into another cycle in some way. And like I said, we want privilege to, to know all the levels of reality. Um, so as I did this, my life became better week after week, month after month, year after year. And now I no longer am thinking, oh, i got to get off the wheel of reincarnation because you know what? I now know if I did that, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have the Masons anymore. I wouldn't have my wife anymore. I wouldn't have my three beautiful nieces anymore. I wouldn't have my computers anymore. I wouldn't have all the things that I love in this love. I can enjoy that so much better now that I'm not being niddled by all these interpersonal dramas. I can't tell you how wonderful it is. So there's one other thing 
about the old school forgiveness. You know, our parents' forgiveness, I'm trying to differentiate this from, that I want to, that I want to hammer home at this ending of the speech. And that is that they had this idea that, you know what, if I had a problem with you, you know, because you did something to me, like I believed that, you needed me to, to let you off the hook in some way. And I don't want you to ever think that you have to forgive somebody for their sake, because their sake is your sake. There's no difference. There's no difference. Forgive people for your sake. Forgive people because it makes you feel better. Do it completely selfishly. Do it so that your blood pressure goes down. Do it so you enjoy your next month of your life and enjoy it. So in that case, you know, I don't want to leave anything out. I want to wrap up by giving you the short form, the really condensed version of the forgiveness prayer because, like I said, I'm not alone. I'm just one person who's an amateur at this stuff. There's people who are more deeply involved with this than I am. <clears throat> and, you know, yes. The whole degree, you have to let go of the grudge. And it makes your life easier, right? That's what your mother said? Very good. You're catching on. Excellent. <laughs> right? So, but what we need to have is we need to have people who are not strong in judging each other. What I'm saying is we need to have people who are strong in forgiving each other. People who are so strong in forgiving each other that they forgive each other constantly by habit, by force of habit. It's just automatic. It's, and, and everything. You'll, you'll see the enlightened people, you know, as you, as you tread your mystical path. And you'll see the people who, everyone's going to tell you they're all enlightened. Just as sure as, as the hallucination is going to tell you that it's real. You know, don't ever ask the hallucination if it's fake. It's going to tell you. I'll tell you right now. It's going to say, oh, no, this is the real deal. You know, we know better, right? You know, but we need to be strong and automatic in this action. And when we do achieve enlightenment, you know, then people like my wife won't be able to say there's plenty of things you don't forgive because it won't be true anymore once I get good at it. You know, eventually everything becomes water off the duck. And really, if you can look at your life and say, water off the duck, you could jump right out of your life if you wanted to. You know, I don't know anyone like that. And they might be around me. I wouldn't know. They might be doing it when I'm not looking, right? I don't know. Sure. Many years ago, someone taught me If get married, that being right is back to the model right of say God is not say all of No, I did not say that God is not perfect. I said God is perfect. And I, I, God's creation is perfect. Our dream, our dream. Get nervous. No need. Desolation, death, etc. <laughs> a single. No, no, 
No. I just want to see if I understand your comment correctly. So just between you, me, and the audience, um, you know, <laughs> would it be right to say that we can forbid communication to evil spirits and less get closer to the Lord that way? Would yeah. that be an accurate statement? Yeah. I think I'm following you then. Thank you for the clarification. Okay. So, I'm, I'm glad, Ron, I'm glad you brought up your love for, 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 our, for our spouse and our, our wives because we happen to have a little joke, the people who do the forgiveness discipline. We like to say that my spouse, my spouse is my best lesson in forgiveness. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, aspects of both. So, <laughs> so you know, some things we found out from experience, you know, and that is that um, I'm, I'm wrapping up. Thank you for the timer. Um, is that it's very rude to take a long pause in the middle of a conversation to pray for someone's forgiveness. They, they tend to notice if they use the long-form prayer. So I want to give you the short version. That will be my conclusion because it's also my way of giving a benediction at the same time. And I always, I always go for a double entendre. So here's a short form that says all the things that the long form says, but really, really tersely. All right? You're a creature of pure spirit whole and innocent and everything's forgiven and released thank you thank you for hearing me <laughs> holy smoke I'm actually within my time limit um, so uh, take a breather guys come back at 12 noon You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HPR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.